0: Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe, how are you? Hello Jules, how are you?
1: I'm good, back with a new episode. I know, we did, thank you for everyone who dropped us a line and asked. We obviously took uh, a couple of intermittent breaks with one thing and another. We just needed a little break from producing content.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important. Sometimes you do have to take a step back. So, we just had a little rest break last week. How have you been since then?
1: I've been good. I am so obviously, when Jules and I record this podcast, we can see one another. So, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've actually cut all my hair off.
2: Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> so, I got a quarantine haircut from my husband, and my hair previously, for those of you who are listening who don't know me, would previously have been probably down to about my belly button and so I have chopped it all off and now it's kind of just up by my shoulders so I feel great I this is a good look thank you I feel as though this is going to sound so frivolous but you know at the beginning of lockdown when everyone was going oh I miss getting facials I miss getting my nails done all of that kind of stuff I feel like I've now been like oh my god no one is looking at me no one cares will I ever go back to wearing makeup? maybe not <laughs>
0: It's interesting because it's been so long now. It's long enough to change your habits.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Because it's about four months now in lockdown. But just like you've adapted to lockdown and like a minimalist life, you'll just readapt once this is all over.
1: Well, this, I don't know if it's the same for you. I haven't not worn makeup for this long since before I started wearing makeup. So we're talking like 13 years old.
0: Yeah for me as well like this is the longest time not I mean I wasn't wearing makeup at 13 I think I started wearing makeup at 17. Right. But this is the longest time that I've gone without wearing makeup but I will be wearing makeup. (laughs) (laughs) It's not so long that I forgot about makeup like I will definitely be wearing makeup again once I'm back like in public.
1: Yes yeah yeah, that's fair I think that you're probably right and I probably will do the same. But if we all had like a mutual agreement where everyone was like, oh my God, turns out, don't worry about it. That being said, I am getting my Botox topped up before life goes back to normal because I'm frowning at you now and there's not usually this much movement in my forehead. So.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know when all those places are going to be be opening because I don't think they're open yet.
1: No, I mean, I am just keeping trying to keep on top of it. I keep calling them saying, hey, what's the story? I was hoping to get braces at the beginning of lockdown, like independent of knowing the lockdown was going to happen. I had an appointment with an orthodontist that I had waited for about a month to see on the 25th of March. And then everything went into lockdown. So I'm gutted because I think that if I end up getting braces, it will probably be for only about six months. So I could have been halfway done with that. Yeah. um, Just in secret. Which is a pity, but I'm seeing him on Wednesday. So maybe if this does extend on until the end of the year, I'll just be able to have like an an ugly duckling moment in private.
0: But do you mean braces or the Invisalign?
1: No, I'm going with braces. Why? Why? Because I've read that A, you get better results with braces than with Invisalign because like they're actually, you know, it's the proper infrastructure as opposed to just a kind of a mouth guard. So not that Invisalign don't give you good results, but they take longer to get the same results. And also Invisalign is about four and a half, five grand versus 1500 for normal braces.
0: Okay. I mean, I had braces when I was like 12.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. God, that's so handy, getting out of the
0: way so early. But that's what I thought people did. I didn't know that no. people got braces as adults.
1: No, well, I think, I mean, I'm doing it as a vanity project. I don't think, like, my my teeth aren't bad enough that you'd be like, oh, my God, this woman needs braces. But they're bad enough for me that when I see pictures or when I see myself talking, I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, you know, the villain Jaws from James Bond, where he's just got, the, like, the mouth full of knives, basically. I'm always like disgusting Smile with your mouth closed but then what will the braces do for you they will straighten things out so I mean (laughs) I'm sure that people will be like skipping ahead being like Phoebe's orthodontia not that interesting but I will for anyone who is interested I have very sharp teeth and so I want to get those softened but my dentist said he won't soften them until I get braces because otherwise my mouth could be a bit wonky Listen, there is so much shit out there that you can spend your money on if you think you're ugly enough. And somehow orthodontic has been one of the holes I've fallen into. Because Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm super into my dentist. I'm always at the dentist. Mm-hmm. And I think it is important to take care of your teeth. So I definitely tried to take care of mine. And I've got a bunch of things that I want to go and do with the dentist, like my teeth whitening, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like I went to the dentist and I was like, oh yeah, I'm here to get my teeth whitened. And they did an x-ray and they're like, no, you're not. Oh, and no. I had about two years worth of things I had to do, like remove my wisdom teeth. Oh, God. Remove this, do this, do this. So that journey is coming to an end. So now I can go and oh, do no the way. cosmetic stuff. <laughs> I think I've got good teeth and a nice smile. I agree. And then the Invisalign thing became really trendy. So I went to my dentist, being like, oh, I think I want an Invisalign because I have a slight gap. Mm-hmm. And then she said, the Invisalign won't do anything for you. So there's no point. Mm-hmm. it's not really going to make much difference so okay forget that but I already had braces I don't think I could have braces now Mm -hmm. or that I need them so yeah so it's interesting I just didn't know that people were going to get braces
1: see the thing is I think probably most people don't get braces now because no one like it's almost a rite of passage if you get that done you know when you're in your teens or if you're 12 12 upwards I would say it's yeah only really about the time so I think probably the reason that most people don't get it done is because no one wants to be a 27 year old wearing braces but yeah, I trying to power through that
0: <laughs> yeah that's so true but I got my braces quite early compared to everyone else mm. and I thought like, oh my gosh I can't wait until these braces get removed and then everybody else started to get braces around 14 right and then I still had my old retainer so I just wear my
1: retainer <laughs> <laughs> Peer
0: pressure is so real.
1: So real. It's so real. But yeah, so that's my my little, I guess, my quarantine glow up, my lockdown glow up, hopefully. Oh, yeah. I don't have one of those. No, I I mean, it it all depends on these places.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing that is taking myself to another level? Nothing, really.
1: (laughs) Hmm. I need to think, what is my glow up? I mean, I was never going to learn a language or anything like that. So funny how I could learn a language or get braces and I'm like, "Mm, orthodontic, baby.
0: Yeah, I'm doing well with my French because I've been doing French since. Yeah, so I've continued with my French and my French is actually going quite well, which is good. So I'm B1 French, which I'm very proud of because I was (laughs) like... I had zero French. So that's good. Not really a massive glow up because B1, you're still learning.
1: Well, the thing um, is, we don't know how long this is going to go on for. So you could pick something now and still have a chance to to turn it around quite quickly. It could be pottery. Golf. Oh, yeah. Golf is good. Oh, how is that going?
0: Yeah, so golf is going well. I think I'm decent, especially for a beginner. I'm quite good I have decent coordination so that really helps but golf is very hard
1: oh I mean
0: it's a tough sport
1: I have only played golf a couple of times I mean and I say play in the, in the loosest possible sense but I am obsessed with the sound that the club makes when, <laughs> like when you get good contact with a golf ball like yes that
0: yes and when I, you have good contact yeah
1: I could play all day just trying to get that noise and I was playing with family members of mine a couple of years ago and I kept going oh great noise and I'm like quite quite a bad bad shot (laughs) that sound I really feel I nailed it
0: (laughs) yeah and that's the thing it's like golf is so hard that you have to take your wins where you can whether if it's that sound like for me happy if I can hit the ball and I can be on target for me that is a win Mm -hmm. and so what I've started to do now is like I follow a bunch of people on Instagram now like I watch videos on like how to improve my swing I've actually gotten quite into it so it's good I mean it's good to have another hobby I think also with the lockdown just try and be kind to yourself because this is such a tricky period for people and I think it's so easy for us to be in a bubble and not realize this is a crazy time in people's lives
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so just take it you know you don't have um, to do
1: anything
0: yeah you don't have to do anything I'm fighting white supremacy with my bare hands So I'm doing a lot <laughs> during this lockdown.
1: We did have, you know, I think one of the reasons that we took a break a couple of weeks ago is that it had been quite heavy. And obviously we discussed quite heavy topics anyway, but then when you take into account that for you as a, as a prime example, not only are you discussing and educating and informing yourself and informing others of things that are going on, you're also just living that reality and you're living that within your workforce, within your personal life. And so how have you been then over the past couple of weeks where I think at times it's probably felt a bit like it's fallen off the front pages?
0: I'm happy that things are not as heavy as they were about three or four weeks ago, because it was just like way too heavy. And I think it was so heavy that some people have genuinely opened up their mind and their perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think that's good. And then you're now at a stage where you just have the people who either have always been engaged or something happened to them where, you know, they now care about racial justice. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's more balanced. Like it's great because we still have an environment now where you can discuss these things at work. You can try and impact change at work or in other areas of your life. It's still enough of a topic Mm -hmm. that you can drive these things forward without where we were four weeks ago where it was so heavy so emotional it was such a thick fog right so it's definitely I wouldn't say it's where we were four weeks ago but I think now we're in the process where okay yes all that emotion that's fine but practically what are the things that we can do
1: yes okay
0: so yes I think that's positive but Rome wasn't built in a day so Mm -hmm. this is a long you know it's a marathon
1: yeah of course and I think that sometimes there are going to be setbacks and progress is never linear as well. So, yes, yeah,
0: so that's basically my view on it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that, you know, obviously the proof and not to kind of laden this with too many proverbs or terms of phrase or whatever, but the proof is often in the pudding. And, you know, mm. we see a lot of organisations now endeavouring to start up diversity and equality and inclusion boards or teams or whatever, you shared a really interesting thing on Instagram as to why those kind of, those forums or committees can be harmful if the the proper infrastructure isn't behind them. And I think that, you know, hopefully what we will then see in the next 6, 12, 18 months are companies who are actually going to be putting in the the grassroots level work. Some won't be. Some will have been paying lip service, but I think that we will have known that they were paying lip service from the second that they posted a black square. Hopefully for others, that this will be a turning point for them and that they are going to weed out the darkness, I guess, for one of a better word.
0: Yeah, I think that's very optimistic. I think it will basically be about 1% of organizations mm. that really use this as an opportunity to make a change or have more of an impact, right? Netflix is an organization. Mm. Like Netflix is a great example of this. Like Netflix have pledged to give, you know, hundreds of millions to HSBCUs in the US, which are historically mm. black colleges in the US. Mm. That is massive and that is meaningful. So you've got examples that like that, that really stand out. I always use Glossier as an example because they've pledged to invest $500,000 in -hmm. in Black entrepreneurs and $500,000 in initiatives that are focusing on racial justice. Right. Another great example. I don't think you have any example of a British company that has stepped up in that way. So, you know, I, I work for an American organization. I don't see any examples of like a British company that has really stepped up.
1: I think that's interesting. I also work for an American company. And I think it's interesting just because the UK has a different relationship with its colonialist past. And I think that slavery is something that just cannot be denied in the US, even though obviously there are deniers of it. But you know what I mean? It's it's something that is very much so entwined with the history of America as a country. Perhaps that's something to do with the fact that, you know, it's less than 250 years old or whatever. And I feel that sometimes the UK has a blindness about acknowledging those aspects. I think a lot of Europe does. When you think about Belgium and the fact that their acts in the Congo are only really relatively recently being discussed, those statues of Leopold are only just kind of being taken down now. I think that there's a very different, a very complex, quote unquote, complex relationship with that colonialism here. And there's a real... Hesitance to use condemning language?
0: Well, if you can't use condemning language, if you can't condemn racism, Mm -hmm. if you can't even speak it, Mm -hmm. you definitely cannot resolve it.
2: Yes. And
0: so that's the challenge that we have in the UK. But that's why it's really great to see people like Lewis Hamilton that continue to use their platform to spotlight the fact that Black Lives Matter to spotlight the fact that we need to end racism in this country. Now is like one of the first times that you've seen, you know, black British celebrities be so explicit. So that's something that I'm grateful for. They're just so committed to the work and it's not about promotion and promoting themselves it's really about this is the cause I believe in Mm -hmm. so I think if we can continue with that hopefully there'll be some progress there is a petition that's going around for the UK to legislate that companies need to reveal their ethnic pay gap right I don't know if you've if you've seen that petition
1: I actually haven't no
0: okay cool so I signed that petition quite a few people have signed the petition and so like there are people that are lobbying that Mm. companies need to declare their ethnic pay gap when we did the gender pay gap a couple of years ago, that was a huge drama.
1: It was, and I agree with you because actually I think that we were working at the same company when the results of that came out and I don't know that I noticed any change, but someone I know, the organization that she worked at, was reading through the results of her organization after that kind of that survey had come out. And the COO came up behind her and said, I mean, you couldn't make this up, but he came up behind her and said, do you understand what that means? Do you understand what that data is saying? And he was like, yes, because ultimately what it showed was that women were not being paid the same as men throughout the organization. And he was like, see, the difficulty is it's skewed because they're not looking at women in senior positions when there are a lot more men in senior positions than you think. That's more of a condemnation of you guys as an organization. You using that as an excuse is not like necessarily a good thing. And I wonder if the same thing will happen if it'll be like, listen, it's justifiable that we've got a big ethnic pay gap because a lot of those fame employees are not in senior positions and that it'll be like, oh, okay, then that makes it all right.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of companies do kind of hide behind that because mm-hmm. where women are doing the same job, women are paid the same, but then you don't have a lot of women in the areas of the business that make the most money, yeah, leadership or the commercial roles that make the most money. I mean, obviously, like that's a cop out. So the immediate impact is, you know, people are institutionalized, they just accept it. But there are younger people who will look at that and say, I don't want to work for an organization mm-hmm where the gender pay gap is double the national average. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there will be talent that will look at that, talent of all races, and they'll say, oh, I don't want to work for an organisation where the ethnic pay gap is times 10, the national average.
1: Yeah, no, totally. So that's
0: where it really affects companies because the best and the brightest Mm -hmm. are not going to want to put themselves in an environment that's a toxic work culture. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of where I would think about the Gen Z generation coming up of all races. Mm -hmm. They're not going to want to walk into an organization that doesn't reflect their values.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. And I think the due diligence that a lot of that younger generation do when it comes to employment and, you know, looking at potential employers is a lot more stringent than, Mm -hmm. say, you know, even our generation would have done. I don't think that even Glassdoor, I don't think is a priority for a lot of people who are looking for a job in the way that others can be really like, well, I want to see what former employees have said. It's not part yeah. of the course.
0: Yeah. So for me, I'm really big on, I need to go on Glassdoor and see what's going on. Mm. So I've always kind of looked at it. And just to know, even if I'm taking that role, I need to understand the environment that -hmm. I'm going into. So, like, yeah, everyone is different. And I definitely think, like, the younger generation coming up, they're the ones that could just potentially kind of expose a lot of what's going on. And then, you know what? If you look at what happened with the BBC, you had all these successful women at the BBC Mm. that were being paid half of what their male colleagues were being paid, right? And they use that opportunity to negotiate for themselves. So, we need to see the numbers so people have the information that they need because a lot of you know salary is still something that's taboo to talk about
1: oh salary is so taboo
0: and even I ask everyone on my team I asked everyone on my team what their salary is yes
1: I I'm a, such a culprit for hating talking about not hating talking about it but I'm always so nervous that someone's going to say mm, you shouldn't be asking me that and I'm gonna be like, but it comes up <laughs> it will just it
0: yeah. And I think it just depends. Like I'm, I'm on a really great team. Mm-hmm. And so it's information that people have volunteered and it's, it. you know, these are things that have kind of come up and then you have enough of a relationship where you can, you can ask. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is taboo and it's not an easy conversation, I guess, but you need to be able to ask those questions.
1: Well, I think, yeah, and I think that you're absolutely right. I also think that it's one of those things that will hopefully just become less and less taboo because it used to be really taboo to ask people who they voted for. Mm. You know, it used to be like, that's a private thing. I don't have to tell you that. And now people are like, did you fucking vote Labour or not? And I'm like, I quite like living in a world like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I still think it is still a bit, obviously a lot of us self-declare, hmm that's Who true. we vote for, but some people are like, don't ask me who I voted for.
1: hmm yeah. No, people no.
0: are very guarded about that.
1: And some people do just lie as well, so... Oh, people lie. Take that into account,
0: so... Yes, I think a lot of people lie about who they voted for.
1: I mean, when I was... Recently, I was talking to... So there were... Obviously, there was a general election in Ireland in recent months where Sinn Féin took a lot of votes. And anyway... There's a lot to it, but I'm not going to to get into it now. And I was asking my dad who he voted for. And he would have always been someone who was like, don't ask me that. You don't ask people who they voted for. And he just went, God, I have no idea. And asked my mum. And he was like, who did I put down as my number? <laughs> like, this is who you put down. And this is your number two. Like that. <laughs>
0: it was so funny when that Irish election happened because just looking at the state of things. And I don't, I'm not an expert, right? So I only have really limited understanding. And, you know, yes, you've got the history of what happened in Ireland, but I can completely see why Sinn Féin would have got the votes that they did, given the state of the country right now. Mm-hmm. You know, but gosh, everybody was scared. I was asking Irish people, oh, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I have no opinion. I was like, Oh, you you don't have an opinion? This
1: is it. It, It's interesting because, I mean, just as a very brief cliff note, because we do have other things that we're looking to discuss this evening, but what what has happened in Ireland now is that you have a coalition between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, who have always been the two main parties in Ireland since we won our independence from the UK in officially 1916 was when the Easter Rising took place, but 1922 was when the Civil War ended. And so... It's always been either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael in power. And now, because they are trying to make sure that Sinn Féin, the insurgents basically, don't get power, they have formed a coalition with them both and I think some members of the Green Party as well. And it was interesting, I was talking to you about this briefly, about how on Irish media then, people are just saying it's bringing an end to civil war politics. But actually, if you think about it, and contextualize it in the correct terms, we've never had anything but civil war politics. And so we're almost at a point where everything that's happened, we've had two financial crises at least, You know, we've had a real restructuring of our constitution from an abortion and marriage equality perspective and divorce in fact, which only became legal in Ireland in the mid nineties. And it opens this really kind of interesting idea where when Ireland won her freedom, It created a vacuum. So when England pulled out of Ireland, it created a vacuum which the Catholic Church was very happy to step into. And then that Catholic Church became our social infrastructure, it became our healthcare system, it became our educational system. And it played a huge role then in the writing of our constitution, which is why you have such an almost evangelical constitution where things like divorce, marriage equality and abortion were so restricted because you had these Magdalen laundries, basically, that were forming to make sure the Catholic Church kept its hold on Ireland. And I wonder if civil war politics, quote unquote, hadn't been allowed to percolate for so long. Would we have taken as long as we have done to remove those less important parts of the Constitution? Anyway.
0: Well, I mean, those are really interesting questions and important points. I think because I'm not as well versed. Obviously, I studied the Irish question super proud i did do irish history for a levels but i think the real issue if you look at it just from a modern context is that being culturally liberal Mm -hmm. is fine and a lot of governments focus on being culturally liberal embracing lgbtq plus rights Mm -hmm. you know moving forward and being progressive culturally but the financial systems that are in place
1: are so conservative
0: are so conservative that basically the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Yes. And that's yeah. happening in Ireland. 100%. So as soon as you have that, all of that progressive stuff goes out of the window because people who are thinking about their next opportunity or like are worried about the future of their children, like they're not thinking about abortion rights, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah, they think about it, but it's not the immediate concern. The immediate concern is the future for my kids, my family, and that's why people start to lean into nationalism.
1: 100%, 100%, I totally
0: agree. You know, um, I sat I there being like, oh, well, this Sinn Féin thing is very interesting, but then it's impossible to have a conversation with Irish people about it because they're just so triggered because it's just so stressful. And then you have younger people, though, like I don't think an 18 year old looks at Sinn Féin in the same way as a 40 year old or a 50 year
1: old. I I could not agree more. I think that you have absolutely hit the nail on the head there. I think that also part of the issue is that we are not taught Irish history in the context of colonisation. And so you look Mm. at something like the royal family, which I know is what we're going to segue to shortly. There's no context. You have things like Kate and William visiting Ireland and people queuing up to shake their hand and shit like that. And it's kind of, it's difficult because, you know, I'm very fascinated with the royal family, but there's so much systemic damage that is done there. And you look at something like the Irish language as, uh, it's not quite a minority language because a lot of funding is put into it, but Irish culture, Irish heritage, music, dance, there's a diaspora that very much so keeps that alive. But equally, it is a case that you don't know what that might have looked like on a global scale if Irish as a language hadn't been so associated with the poor. And if anyone listening is interested in going down this rabbit hole, there's a really interesting kind of theory or, I guess, writing avenue that you can go down, rabbit hole that you can go down, which talks about the Irish potato famine, which in itself is often like derided and stereotyped and satirized but was actually a, a cultural genocide and you the UK actively exporting food that would have kept Irish people alive during that period of time and there's just like blindness about it we don't we don't even learn that in Ireland when we learn about the Great Famine so that's something
0: Ireland is, is just like any other country that's been colonized mm-hmm. whereas you know if you look at the Commonwealth the same English canon that you study at university in England is the same Canon that you study at the University of Makera in Uganda, right? It's the same thing. So you don't learn about your history, really. Mm-hmm. And if you did learn about it, I mean, come on, like that would be there would you, be an uprising. You, yeah, there'd be an uprising. Like you couldn't serve the Commonwealth, could you? No. Like if you actually learn it. So it's really, really an interesting situation. And then to see sort of younger people coming up and just having a completely different point of view.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and just like re-leaning back into nationalism like I don't blame them and so we'll kind of see how things turn out because my understanding is the economy is really going through a lot in Ireland and Covid have had a crazy impact.
1: 100% I, I mean now I do think that Ireland took Covid very seriously from the get-go and I think they did a good job in that respect but I think if you just look at the housing market as a prime example and I was actually talking to a friend recently And I was saying, you know, one of my favorite things to do, because I love the idea of moving back to Ireland at some point. And I love looking at properties in a particular area of South Dublin, which is right on the coast. And you've got like the mountains. And so you're close enough to a city because I can't imagine not being in a city. having been in London for so long. You've got the sea right there or whatever. And he went to me. um, Oh, yeah, that's the dream. All right, Phoebe. But I want you to know that's all it is dream because those houses Mm. are 2.8 million and i'm just there like looking being like oh i wonder what's on the market now and it is yeah
0: yeah and that's happened everywhere so i basically call it like a reverse gentrification Mm -hmm. where you know you've got i mean there are so many companies that are headquartered in ireland right so Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people working for international companies making what they would be making in london Mm -hmm. but living in a city like dublin and they can buy that property. So it might not be just a dream for you. It's something that you could potentially achieve. But for people from Ireland who don't have access to that economy, they can't achieve that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's outrageous.
1: Yeah, uh, totally.
0: I think it's completely unacceptable that people from a country should be locked out of the economy in that country.
1: And that's the thing, like, obviously, with this podcast, as we always say, this is us just we are dissecting it we're not trying to come to a conclusion we're not trying to rectify it you can't negate the things that
0: are well, it's natural it's what's happened here yeah with brexit and everything it's a natural tendency for people to go that nationalism route when the elites don't create a financial structure that's equitable
1: and that's the thing it's i just think that normal patriotism is fine nationalism is obviously dangerous I think that actually it was in Ireland, have to be careful of this, like Americanization of the economy, because I think that, and I think that that pertains to the entirety of, of Europe, actually, you know, the rhetoric that, and the way in which Americans are just so much a part of the capitalist machine, which to a degree we all are, but to segue from one thing to another, you know, in one of the modules I'm doing at the moment for my MBA there was a video that we had to watch, which had come from the New York times. It was talking about operations management. It was from the Wilson football factory that makes all of the the American footballs. Basically every, every point scored in the NFL since 1941 has been scored with a Wilson football. So it's an interview with a woman who has worked there for 48 years. So since she turned 19 every day, getting up at three so she could be at the factory for five so that she could sew the footballs every day. And you know she's emotional, she's crying about how much she loved loved working for that company and how special that was. And I was just thinking, I could not for a 10 days holiday a year, like there has to be some point at which the work-life balance shifts in my favor. Whether or not that's for her, that's kind of irrespective. But I can't look down the barrel of another whatever it is 30 years
0: working well yeah but you're another generation Mm, totally like our generation that would be a very bitter pill to swallow yes (laughs) but I think for that generation their relationship with work was completely different to our relationship with work today but um, oh, that's interesting. I've I've enjoyed having a chat with you about that because it's something I've been thinking about, but I haven't been able to discuss it because I could see it's so stressful for people. I think we'll talk th- about what's going on in Ireland.
1: Secrecy is so like it's very much so in our nature, I don't think. I never really met anyone who spoke about politics until I met my husband. <laughs> so
0: Oh, wow. No, but that does happen. I think obviously if you look at the history of Ireland, right, like it gets to the point where people just say, oh, let's not discuss. Mm hmm. Because if we do discuss, we're not going to be friends.
1: Yeah. Oh, I totally.
0: Like any country that's had a civil war, basically, you get to the point where you're like, okay, let's just not discuss. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about the weather. Let's talk about other things. I would like to talk about Ghislaine Maxwell being arrested by the FBI.
1: Yes. I would love to talk about that as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, because I watched the Filthy Rich Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix a few weeks ago. Yes. And I've been following, I mean, we've been following this whole situation with like Jeffrey Epstein and obviously Prince Andrew really embarrassed himself a few months ago when he did that interview on the BBC. And since then he retired from royal duties,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: right? But now people are saying like, oh gosh, she has so much dirt on so many powerful people, including Prince Andrew. Mm -hmm. How do you think this is going to play out? I, Do you think she'll end up missing?
1: Oh my god, one hundred percent. You know I'm always wearing the tin foil hat. One hundred percent. I when this came out on whatever day it was, was it Saturday? And I got a notification from the New York Times on my phone, and I said to I said to my mum, no, I said to my sister, excuse me, because I, I said it to my husband first, it was like fucking nothing. And I said, oh my god, Ghislaine Maxwell's been arrested, and we had a conversation about. If you were her and you saw what had happened to Jeffrey Epstein, would you not just say, listen, they killed him and he was keeping quiet. So there's no way, because I 100% do not think that he killed himself, just to be totally clear here. (laughs) Um, I would just be like, I will sing like a canary. There is Mm. no one is going to keep me safe but myself. So you can have all of the information that you want. Please just protect me.
0: I found it strange that she would be in the US. Same. Anyway, I, I was like, why would you be in the US?
1: I wonder, could she not get out because the people that she would, you know, she couldn't get on a normal flight and the people who would typically be like, yeah, you can use my plane were like, no, I'm keeping my distance.
0: Well, apparently she's been well protected since Jeffrey was arrested. So obviously we can only speculate, but mm-hmm. I just found it strange that she was still in the US apparently they've been tracking her the whole time so I'm just interested to see how this plays out because I can't imagine that she's going to end up in court testifying to things
1: oh absolutely not I don't think it'll make it that far at all Mm. I think that when we discuss these things like it's obviously salacious and we joke about it and I obviously get excited about it but I think that quite honestly we cannot conceptualize how many people
0: are embroiled in something like this? And oh, yeah, we can't. How, how many much money people is
1: involved in something like this?
0: How much money is involved and the power mm. that's involved? And so that's why it's interesting that they're still pushing and trying to build a case. And then I was reading an article about, you know, saying that sort of the next step with her could potentially impact the election because Trump was loosely affiliated with yeah. Jeffrey Epstein. So are things going to come out? But like with Trump, he's the Teflon Don. Like I just don't think anything could impact him. Yes, I agree. But we'll see how it's going to impact like Prince Andrew because the FBI wants him to come and like testify and say what he knows and he's like, no.
1: Yeah. And and this is the thing. I wonder if I mean again when we talk about not being able to conceptualize, I can't fully conceptualize how much money and power the the royal family in the UK have because they are tabloid fodder. You know, I'm interested. well in-
0: that's it. but this is from like I've been following stuff from the US, hmm. and they're like Prince Andrew's a nobody. Oh, right. Yeah, they're like Prince Andrew's a nobody. Like royal family, what? so what? <laughs> yeah, they don't look at this like oh my god, oh the Queen. No, right. Okay. They just look at it like, yeah, royal family, but it's not the same as here, where like the royal family are like untouchable. Adored.
1: And that's the thing. It, I think that that is so good because mm. ultimately, all the royal family are, I mean, relatively ill educated people who are just born into a dynasty. Mm-hmm. And it's probably helpful to have people who are like, we don't care. You've not done anything.
0: I don't think. Prince Andrew being royal in the UK means as much in the US. Mm-hmm. After he did that BBC interview, like, you cannot give this guy a platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so I think so. they'll do everything they can to make sure that he doesn't... Because apparently he's writing letters to the FBI. <laughs> they're like, oh, we'll respond by a letter. But they're like, no, we need an actual interview. What? So... All a bit weird. I would not
1: trust him to have an interview because he just can't stop talking even with the interview on the BBC with Emily Maitlis when she was asking him questions and you know you could not have given him enough rope he was mm-hmm. hanging himself yeah all the time like oh I was in a, a pizza express in Woking it's like why did you say that no one was ever going to think oh yeah he must remember that that particular day he was in a, a pizza express in Woking like you, you thought it and you said it because you've never had any repercussions for your own actions.
0: Exactly. And then, um, and obviously this is all tabloid stuff. But then I was reading how one of Ghislaine Maxwell's friends said Prince Andrew basically would not be able to tell the difference between somebody that was being like trafficked and like any other person because he just sees everybody as a servant. Oh, my God.
1: Imagine that being your defense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they were like, he's not a bad guy. He just sees everyone as a servant.
1: Oh my God, your honor. I didn't know he was being trafficked. I don't care about anyone. It's like, do you know when people, when teenagers used to be like, uh, I'm not racist, I hate everyone equally. And it'd be like, oh my God, edgy.
0: Like, but there's a name for that. What do you call that when somebody is just so wealthy? There's a, there is a legitimate defense. Really? And it's basically when somebody is so wealthy that they don't understand the consequences of their actions
1: god it sounds like sociopath behavior
0: it's called affluenza
1: oh my god yes i remember that being used in a court case was it that the yeah kid was drunk drink driving or something exactly
0: so this was a case in the u.s and they use affluenza as a defense on the situation you have with prince Andrew is that he's drunk on affluenza
1: That's so true. You've lived a life and you've lived a life of being your mother's favorite as well, which is just it's privilege on privilege, kind of. (laughs)
0: Privilege on privilege.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because, again, you say, like, you know, are they going to modernize? Are they going to get with the times? And you think even with everything that's been going on with the the BLM movement and they've tried so hard because they always say, oh, we don't get political. It's like, you know what? it is so transparent that everything people thought about the way you treated Meghan Markle was bang on the money. Because if you didn't come out and say Black Lives Matter and you've colonised most of Africa, that then really speaks to the fact that you do not think that Black Lives Matter ultimately.
0: Yeah, but that goes without saying.
1: It goes without saying, (laughs) but it's also, this is where Kate and William would be trying to, to posture as, you know, Oh, the, the woke generation. Um, oh, future future Queen Kate and she'll be... And future future King William, who's talked about how he thinks racism is boring. It's over now. Like, oh, is that what he said? Mm, he's bored of talking about racism. That's what he said. It's the beigest of statements. You're bored of racism. Well, What are you going to do about it? Ding, 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 ding. You're a patron of sports in England I'm pretty sure <laughs> of the yeah he's president he's president of the FA so what are you going to do about this this racism that you're so bored of
0: yeah I've definitely got no I've got I've got no time for Prince William I think one other thing that kind of blew up the internet this week is that a situation with Jada Pinkett Smith and R&B singer August Alcina yeah. did you know who August was or did you hear about this no. before this came out
1: I definitely didn't know who he was before this whole thing blew
0: up. Okay. So I knew who he was. And when they were hanging out a few years ago, they were like always hanging out like on each other's Snapchats and like they were hanging out. And it was like, this is like my adopted son. And so when it came out now where he said, oh, we had a relationship for four years, this was not a big shock.
2: Four years? Yes. Yes.
0: And when he came out and he said this, it wasn't a big shock to people who kind of saw how they were hanging out
2: mm-hmm.
0: a few years ago, especially in the context of Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith's open relationship.
1: Yeah, well, that's people what were I'm like interested in
0: what are you interested in.
1: I, I was interested in because if it is the case that, and again, you definitely know more about this than I do, but if it is the case that they do have an open marriage, which I think has been speculated about. Frequently for a long time, and I think they—they said they have an open marriage. Right. Okay. So
0: said they have a life partnership.
1: Right. Okay.
0: So they don't have a conventional marriage. The language they use is we're life partners.
1: Okay, that's interesting.
0: But it's quite well documented that they basically have an open marriage.
1: So it's interesting to me then. So if that's the case, have I just been living under a rock, or has Will Smith never then had someone come out and say, oh yeah, he and I have been together for X amount of time. That's
0: why if you're going to be in an open marriage, mm. the people that you're doing the open marriageness with <laughs> is very important. Like, why yeah. would I go and, um, you know, I'm a woman in my 50s, go and have a relationship with someone who, I think when they met, was like 21 at the time.
1: Wow, that is young. Um,
0: yeah, and you know, people that follow August Alcinia know that he was going through a tough period in his life.
2: Okay,
0: lost a sibling, doesn't have a great relationship with his own mum, and was having like mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So yeah, of course, this person could come out to discuss what's gone on yeah, yeah. because they're they're vulnerable.
1: And it's strange as well, when you put it in that particular context of the ages and, you know, kind of what was going on for him personally, I don't know enough to kind of speak, you know, I, I, I don't have enough information to have made a definitive decision about how I feel about it. But it's a bit like when we talk about Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton, you know, people introduce that power dynamic paradigm there where it's even if she was 21 years old that was the president of the United States. There's mm-hmm. there's a huge imbalance of power there. And am I right in thinking that Jada Pinkett Smith was like a mentor to August or like- Well, what? he was friends with her son. Oh, wow. Okay. And then
0: they basically ended up having a relationship. And I think, yeah, for me, the real issue is the power dynamic. So famous, older, rich.
1: Yeah.
0: Powerful. Such- known in the industry. Woman. Mm -hmm. And my question to people is if it was a man and then it was a younger woman and then she's doing an interview saying that when she walked away from that relationship, she was broken. She feels that she could die today because she was so devoted to that person. Would it be a scenario that we are comfortable with? But this was a joke. Everyone was laughing about it on the Internet. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, so funny, so funny. I don't really find it that funny. And then you've got other people who were like, oh, he knew what it was. The thing... They're both adults, two consenting adults.
1: We are not sympathetic to women who find themselves in those situations. And if it was a young woman who was with a man who was married, I think that we would condemn him for sure. We would be, like, gross. And I think that Mm. we would also say she was stupid. He was never going to leave his wife. You all hear that being said. And I think that that is the important thing when you talk about things like that. You can't just be like, yeah, go, girl. You get yours because... Mm. There is going to be collateral damage if you are not completely transparent as to where you are with something like that. Four years is a long time to have... It's a, lo- a long time. In an open relationship. I say this as someone who is not in one, so perhaps some of our listeners could enlighten me, but I feel like four years is a really long time to be in a relationship separate to your relationship.
0: Four years is a really long time.
1: That's not a fling. That's a That's a serious...
0: Oh, no, it's dead serious. And then he was saying that Will Smith gave his approval.
1: No, that's not. I don't think that's. Did you
0: watch, have you seen the
1: interview that he gave? No, I know that she is going to do a Red Table talk on it, which I was. And
0: that's another issue that I have, because basically she's now going to use this to boost her views, boost mm-hmm. her following. You know, and maybe he's tried to do something similar because he's meant to have new music coming out. Yeah tried and failed because this is not making him look good. I don't think it's making people want to go and buy his music, but just looking at the context of like the the mental health issues, the age and, you know, all the other issues around him, I think there's an integrity issue around being with someone who is vulnerable for four years. When you and your husband have an understanding, like Will and Jada, they have an understanding. So the third parties... (laughs) Would always be collateral damage.
1: I think that there is absolutely no part of me casting shade. If you and your partner are fully consensual in having an open relationship or an open marriage, fine, you know, have at it. I do think that there is something strange about being with someone that your son has introduced you to. I think that there is something strange about, you know, just even small things like, do you know when you were in your teens, I don't know if this was ever the case for you, but I personally never dated anyone significantly older than me, but there were girls when I was 17 who were dating people in their late 20s who were maybe 27, maybe 26, 27, right? Mm -hmm. And they'd be kind of like, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal, whatever. And you'd kind of say, yeah, like, okay, it sounds like a big age gap, but it's not really, there's not that much of a difference between 17 and 27. If I now think of someone who's 10 years younger than me, and I think of being attracted to them. Or even someone who's 21, I think, oh, my God, no, they're so young. Yeah. You might think that you're mature. I think we all think that we're mature when we're 21, 22. I think I'm mature now, and in five years' time, I'll be like, what oh, a child. But mm-hmm. there's a big... Huge. Huge. I I,
0: I I, was just like, mate, I don't know how she's going to explain this away.
1: And has she copped to it?
0: Because... Well, she said her reps said that nothing happened because Jada is meant to be this like guru who has done so much work on herself, who's so positive and honest, like radically honest. You know, people were saying you can't have the red table where people come and pour their heart out and now something's happening in your life and you don't come to the red table. Mm -hmm. So then she was saying, okay, she's going to come to the red table It's going to be an interesting one.
1: Oh, my God. I haven't watched that many. I think the last one I watched was was with Jordan Woods. I get
0: The thing about her is she has such a strong personality and presence. It'll just be interesting to see how how that conversation goes. And if it's a conversation she'll just have with her mum and Willow Mm. and how that conversation will go. But they were all in on it. Like he would be there with the family. You know, it's something that was very open and clear to everyone in that family.
1: How, you know, I I don't want to come across as judgmental because I've been married for 18 months, so.
2: (laughs) Well, I am definitely
0: side-eyeing her. It would be so different if it was someone who was established, successful, Mm -hmm. emotionally, they had, you know, I think that's a very different dynamic.
1: I agree. I actually think that the idea of the open relationship is not a barrier. They're obviously, Will and Jada are obviously super into each other. They obviously have a good relationship and a good dynamic going on. But the strange power imbalance here with this particular example is not something that I... Yeah, I think
0: think in terms of like people's reaction, I don't think people have really commented on the open marriage thing, because that's like an open secret. Mm -hmm. I think where people were where the questions have arisen it's mainly around like august and his like mental health and yeah let's just hope he's cool let's hope he's okay
1: maybe he'll be at the red table as well
0: we'll see how that situation unfolds guys would love to hear your views on that your views on the glane maxwell situation and everything we've discussed today follow us on instagram at jules
1: phoebe And most importantly, share the (laughs) podcast with a friend. Please share the podcast with a friend. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for messaging us. And we will speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.